0: there everybody you are listening to the tough like a girl podcast my name is vera
1: and i'm liz
0: and this is where we take a look at um comics and graphic novels with female protagonists and this one this is one i've had for a while i grabbed this um i think the first year i went to the vermont comic-con which doesn't exist anymore and not just because of covid um Because when I had gone through Artist Alley, and seen various artists having their stuff out, I grabbed a number of things that looked like it might fit our remit. Mm. So that's where this came from, and so this is published by Valiant Comics, um, and is actually set in their... they do have a continuous universe, which I had forgotten.
1: I really don't know anything about them You,
0: you don't need to to read this or at least i don't think you do
1: i i would have liked more background like i was interested in what was going on and like i feel like a lot went on before it started and i kind of wanted to know the some of the secondary characters better
0: so i think the only ones of any relevance that you would have had more information on by earlier stuff is her it would be would have been axe and uh her ex whose name i now forget is it torque yes torque that would have been it because the rest were all fresh for this
1: yeah i suppose that's true but i still was curious so anyways go ahead
0: i think i mean this is just somewhere where we where we differ and uh, like i i kind of enjoy an implication of a lot of story happened previous but it, for me, I kind of like it when it just gives a sense that these characters had lives prior to me starting to read about them. But I, I can see where it can be frustrating. It
1: wasn't so much I was frustrated. I just was like, I'm interested enough in what's going on that I would, I kind of want background knowledge. Like, even if I go back and read it, you know, it doesn't mm. have to necessarily have to be before I read it. But I was like, this this is an interesting enough universe. And like, I like the main character enough.
0: So we're kind of dipping into our thoughts on it before I even got to the credits of this, much less the synopsis. Okay, we're together right now. (laughs) Um, So this run was written by Jody Hauser. The artist was Francis uh, Portella with uh, guest artist Marguerite Savage uh, for certain fantasy sequences. And the color was done by... um, Andrew uh, Dalhouse and lettering by Dave Sharp with cover art by Jelena Kevic. Oh god. Um Jer- <laughs> I'm going with that. I don't know. <laughs> but that's what we're going with. So this was the character's first solo outing though she had been introduced previously in the continuity. Mm-hmm. So it deals with Faith Herbert who is a a superhero known as Zephyr. At the start, she is currently living a double life as um, Summer Smith, working for, basically for BuzzFeed, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. She, She wants to do journalism. She's stuck doing listicles. Like uh, 10 more actors named Chris who should play superheroes on the big screen.
1: I really like that one.
0: <laughs> that, that was a good... That was, there's some good gags in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, uh, she used to be part of a superhero team that had broken up. Her ex is a guy named Tork who now has a reality show um, and is dating someone... Much more classically beautiful. Um, Faith is on the heavier side, uh, as far as her build goes, Um, and it follows her sort of uncovering stuff going on in L.A. It starts initially with her sort of breaking up a, a puppy napping ring, but then stumbling on to... Um, a thing where someone is, is kidnapping. Um, they're called in this continuity Psyots. It's basically their equivalent of mutants from Marvel. People born with abilities that manifest later in life. hmm Um... I swear every conduit has, has their version of mutants. It's like, this is what we go to when we don't want to think of an origin story. They're just this thing. Mm, it makes it a little easier. It's an easy thing to have to not have to come up with a unique origin story for every single superpowered character you ever want to have. Very true. Um, but she uh, uncovers this. She does eventually make contact um, with Torque. She has a hacker friend uh, named Axe, or who goes by Axe, and that's, it's the at sign x Mm -hmm. so i'm just gonna call him axe um who she knew from before who is helping her out and it sort of follows her as she uncovers the uh alien conspiracy at the like you do like you do um at the heart of what's going on and um and you know works to bring a stop to that so overall what'd you think I really
1: liked her as a main character, um, so she was fun. Um, I liked some of the ideas that were going on, the actual like villains, I was kind of like, eh, cause it took us a while to get it uncovered. And then I felt like, okay, you just, you know, rip their helmets off and the, the people are no longer mind controlled. And it was, it was a little anticlimactic, the final fight. Um, but I did really like her. I like some of the side characters. Um, I liked how they incorporated another TV show where the character was supposed to be a cyborg, but was actually one of the aliens who had kind of turned against her people.
0: Yeah, it, it's named like...
1: Hadley, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's Faith's favorite TV show, because Faith is also a geek.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so, like, her favorite TV show is, like... Okay, so I'm just going to get geeky in my terminology here it's basically imagine if seven of nine starred in Buffy the Vampire Slayer Slayer is the sort of the vibe I got off this fake tv show
1: yeah but they had to get like they had to go back in time to travel and get like household goods because supposedly like maintenance yeah (laughs) like they have to get like cleaning sprays and stuff in different time periods so I it it, it
0: looked ridiculous it looked
1: really ridiculous but I'm like i I probably would watch a couple episodes of the show, I if mean, I was being honest.
0: We're big fans of Legends of Tomorrow. I don't think we have any business knocking ridiculous time travel plots. Uh, yeah,
1: that's true.
0: <laughs> it's um, only
1: a matter of time before the Legends have to go like gather, you know,
0: they, they need Clorox
1: a clor- cleaning wipes or something. From they,
0: they need a crock pot from, from 1967. Yeah, and,
1: yeah. Yeah. I would not put it past that to be an entire season of just collecting random household goods
0: yeah i wouldn't either um so i mentioned faith's um body shape
1: Mm -hmm.
0: what i like about this is at least to my memory it only gets brought up in any way once and that is a snide comment by torque's current girlfriend
1: Oh, that she like that he leveled up or something like that. Yes.
0: Yeah, that saying that Torque upgraded or whatnot.
1: Which, even that, is not super specific.
0: No, it's not really specific to her body type. It's just a bitchy comment. Yep. So, I actually appreciate that. Like, and when I say at all, I mean at all. I mean, she never draws attention to it. No other character draws attention to it. The narrative doesn't draw attention to it. There are no jokes. At the expense of her weight, it just literally never comes up
1: mm-hmm.
0: And I really like that,
1: yeah, I do too. I, I and I like how she's done. I like her superhero outfit, that being said. I don't know why any superhero would ever wear white, um, because that's gonna get dirty real quick.
0: <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna get ter- dirty quick. If you're trying to do anything like sneaky at night, you're gonna get spotted real easy. Like yeah,
1: yeah, it's but not practical. I like that it's but got a little cape outfit. I like that she doesn't have heels. Um,
0: it's yeah. very practical.
1: It's a very practical outfit, other than being white.
0: Uh, yes, um, other than being white. Which she's got good hair too, actually. Now that I mention it.
1: There was sometimes, though, um, I noticed in the close-ups, like, the her eyes were, like, kind of off and stuff. Like, it's, the illustrations are okay. I think the cover art is good, and the fantasy sequences are a little better than the others. I do want to say, though, that the wig she has for um, her character, like, her alter ego summer, summer yep. is is kind of hideous.
0: <laughs> it kind of is, Yeah. <laughs>
1: Which I, I appreciate. I'm like, oh, that's not a good wig. But I could kind of understand if you were going undercover for the first time that you get a bad wig. Yeah. And some of us do not look good in wigs. I am one of those. <laughs> Except for the, like, rare occasional wig that is decent.
0: So, I meant, it's kind of come up a couple times now because I mentioned it in the credits and you brought it up. There are the fantasy sequences, which are her kind of imagining what she wishes her life and her work as a superhero was. And they're just kind of fun little sequences, which again could have gotten like a little bit cringy in terms of like her seeming naive or over optimistic, but they're more like just fleeting daydream kind of things or, or like thoughts of why can't, why couldn't this be my life? Why am I stuck with this nonsense?
1: Yes. Uh. They're often star studded and like, everyone being like we're so grateful for you.
0: Uh-huh. And and in her in her dreams. She... So, that joke I that I quoted earlier, the 10 Chrises who should be in superhero movies, there's a follow-up to that because a recurring character in her fantasies is the fake actor Chris Criswell. <laughs> it's so-
1: which I feel like will <laughs> become someday a real celebrity so name. Like someone will have a name that's already you know in in the dockets, and so they have already part go, of the
0: union. So they need a they need they a need professional a name. As well, yeah, <laughs> Chris Chriswell.
1: <laughs> Especially if their first thing is like a blockbuster superhero movie.
0: Yeah, like I there's a lot of little jokes like that that I really appreciated. She does drop a lot of geek references. Uh, Including a, a, unfortunately, very poorly aged shout out to Joss Whedon. Not to Joss Whedon's work, but the man specifically. And I'm like, that has aged badly.
1: Yeah, there is like an Angelus reference, which was like, eh, okay. It didn't go too far, and it was more at the show than at Joss. But the Joss one itself, I was like... I think you heard me reading it. I was like, oh.
0: Yeah, and I immediately know what she had just read. Yeah, and like, it, it, the thing came out in 2016, so I'm not going to say there was no word that he was kind of a not great guy, but he hadn't had his breakup with his wife yet, and definitely the stuff that came out later on the set of Justice League had was years away from happening. So just for context, that's sort of where things were, but... It really does sort of emphasize the point that you and I have realized in life. Like, it's it's probably a better idea to praise the work than the person. Because the person might turn out to be a bag of crap. But if you just praise the work, then you can still go, look, the work's still good. Oh,
1: yeah, true. But I always, it just leaves that bad taste in my mouth. I, again,
0: like, I've written off a lot of this stuff with a lot of the people lately. But I'm saying, like... I'm not gonna. It it doesn't feel as ah to see references to a work as it does to see references to the
1: person to the yeah. person. I'll, I'll give you that. And also, like, there are certain things where I'm like, oh, this came out in whatever, and this was years before we knew anything, and I can't really blame the the work that's referencing yeah. the other work, the the problematic creator work.
0: Because... Yeah. So, like, not the fault of the book, but still a little. Uh, yeah. You know what? I'm I wonder if cuz I think I think Supergirl may have started by the time this came out cuz I wonder I wonder what the chicken and the egg is on Cat Grant and uh Faith's, Faith's boss at her job in terms of um characterization sort of like really grinding her and being tough on her but also being weirdly accommodating when she finds out that her employee's a superhero
1: yeah i i mean i think they could have both gotten there independently though
0: that's true i mean it it's, I didn't may have been around the of, exact time i didn't same time. even
1: think of cat grant when i read it so yeah um but you're right i feel like that I've seen a character like that other places
0: it's, too, Yeah, though. fair enough. That said, I did kind of like the way it plays out when uh, all of her co-workers figure out what went on, which in general I appreciate because, look, I am, I'm honestly kind of of the opinion that other than Superman and Spider-Man, there aren't very many superheroes where the things they go through to maintain their secret identity actually yielded anything interesting story-wise. So I actually tend to appreciate it when whoever they're hiding it from just finds out not that far into the story. It's like, oh, good, we're not doing that nonsense anymore.
1: Yeah, I I do wonder too. Like with with Supergirl and with Superman, I'm like, y- you really can't tell that they just have glasses. <laughs> they, oh,
0: baby, there are massive Reddit and Twitter threads. Arguing this stuff back and forth. The thing is, like, if if you look at the well-written stuff, uh-huh. it can be well-justified. Or actually, if you if you watch the um, first Christopher Reeve Superman uh-huh. and just see how much changes, not only in his voice, but his posture and just the way he holds himself. Uh-huh. And also, folks have pointed out, this, is, and this is usually in reference to why Lex Luthor never figured it out. Mm-hmm. Lex Luthor would never have reason to believe that Superman would have a what have a secret identity in the first place. Why would Superman ever pretend to be a normal person? Yeah. So it can kind of be one of those things where if you realize well he does have a secret identity, I bet you people would figure it out, but most people wouldn't think he would. Why would he? All right. But uh, I but get
1: like Spider-Man I get cuz he's Behind a mask, like well, there you go, and he, in a full like he's behind seat. he's
0: behind a mask and has to make rent. So that's sort of Peter Parker's ongoing thing is almost being evicted every other day. Yeah, but that I, I get
1: for secret identity. The the Superman I have a hard time wrapping my head around, but
0: yeah. But again, there just there aren't other than doing one of those two things, either like doing a Superman thing of just like um making the distinction between being among people and then having to save them or doing the Spider-Man thing of this is what I have to do because I have to have some semblance of a normal life while saving people. Mm-hmm. Other than those two things, I don't know what else there is to do. Because you look at somebody like Batman, I'm like, it doesn't matter that he has a secret identity. All that matters is he's rich. Yeah. The fact that he has a secret identity really doesn't matter. So it's it's just, it's just just a it's just a trope that I think has already yielded whatever there was that was going to be good. So I, again, the reason I brought that up was I do appreciate that they break that part way through when she has to use her powers to save people in her office and like very clumsily is trying to be like, Oh, um, yeah, I'm, and they just, they just clock it immediately. They're like, like,
1: Oh, she was here for an interview, isn't it? And they're like, you were literally the only other person in that room with our boss.
0: Yeah. Like we we know what's going. We're not idiots.
1: Yeah, that was a good
0: scene. Um I'm trying to think. I I like it overall. It has a it has a fairly I would hesitate to call it a comedy, but it has a light tone to it.
1: It does. I like her being like, really? Just puppy nappers? This is what I'm stuck with in the first one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cute
1: puppies, though. Very cute puppies. Um, and
0: I like And worth saving.
1: The airhead girlfriend is one of the aliens. I appreciated that touch. Yep. Um, and is really done with Torque. Torque seemed like a
0: Torque. dumb beefcake. Torque, yeah, Torque's kind of a himbo.
1: Yeah. She seems better off with this archer dude that she called in.
0: Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention him. Yeah, she has another friend from back in the day who she like skypes with intermittently um, to to catch up with. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just it's got a it's got a fun vibe, and this uh, apparently got this uh, run got nominated for a lot of stuff when it came out. I don't know how much has been done with the character since this run. Um, like there that,
1: was one other volume I saw.
0: Yeah. Um, Like I said, I did look a little bit into her and she was introduced, um, you know, in this whole continuity a bit before just on the team Mm -hmm. and the her dating torque that was in there. Mm -hmm. Um, But she had never had a solo run before and I would be scared to go back and see what she was depicted like in the team book.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: So I...
1: oftentimes they're not as good.
0: Yeah, like I... I, because I haven't done that, I can't say if this was a case of a character who was done dirty but had potential being done justice, but I would not be surprised to find out that that's what we're dealing with.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: But yeah, overall, I, I liked it. And at, it's worth noting, as far as superhero volumes go, um, fairly complete story because the mm-hmm. the plot she uncovers does get fully resolved within this volume. So, while the run continued, it's not as much of a cutoff as a lot of the superhero volumes we read Mm. are. So, this is easier to recommend as a one-off than something like, as much as I liked it, you know, Ms. Marvel, which ended basically at the reveal of the villain. Yeah. And then by volume two. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as far as these things go, this is an easier recommendation as as a test purchase because you're... Even if you don't like it, you're not going to feel incomplete about it.
1: That's a very valid point. I did like Hadley too. The little the alien superstar they they yeah. introduced at the end. Yes. They were you know like Archer was trying to really help her out. And she's like I got this. I do my own stunts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I also like we didn't get a lot of time with it, but I do like the sort of implication that's like these aliens have infiltrated you know so much of culture like as actors and directors and all these other things Uh but that some of them like hadley are like but i i actually like doing this i don't (laughs) i don't want to do the take over the world thing can can we just live our cover story because it's kind of cool and i just like that as you said it doesn't get a ton of page time Mm -hmm. devoted to it and it could have it definitely could have been the focus of more but I do just still like it.
1: Nope, that's valid.
0: So I think that'll wrap it up for that one. And uh, we'll do a quick promo. And then, dear friends, we shall come back with listener feedback.
2: Welcome one and all to the Fire and Water Racetrack and Arena. Please direct your attention to the center of the track where you will see 36 buses lined up between two ramps, a tank full of live man-eating sharks, and a high wire stretching over it all. The rocket cycle is warmed up and all the nets have been removed. Who would attempt these stunts just to entertain and inspire his audience? What kind of man? What kind of hero? There, coming in on a rocket-powered skateboard, it's the death-defying human flycast! cast. Join me, Max Romero, and a rotating roster of guests as we dive headfirst into the colorful comics of Marvel's The Human Fly. The death-defying Human Fly cast is a limited-episode podcast spotlighting the adventures of a man who comes back from a crippling auto accident to become a mysteriously masked stuntman with a mission. To inspire others to never give up hope. We'll also talk about the real-life Human Fly, a daredevil with a murky past and a desire to be the best stuntman in history. Until the day he just disappeared. The actual human fly would vanish as suddenly as he had materialized, but not before sparking a comic series featuring what would be the wildest superhero ever. Because he was real. The death-defying human fly cast. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's gonna be wild.
0: So, last time, we took a look at Black Widow, a finely woven thread. You know what? Actually, before we get to the feedback, we na- we won't talk spoilers, but we have now both seen the film Black Widow. hmm What did you think? I
1: liked it. It was... I didn't like it as much as, say, some of their other stuff, like Captain Marvel, mm. but I liked it. It was fun. Florence Pugh stole the show.
0: She really did. She really did. She really I mean, David did. She Harbour was, was good, but Florence was really Pugh was, good. Yeah. was wonderful.
1: She was great. I mean, but she. I also am not entirely surprised having seen her kind of steal the show in, like, Little Women and make people actually, like me, like Amy March. <laughs> so she was just wisecracking, like, take-you-down-a-notch little sister energy. Like, really good at that. Um, just really played both the like lighter comedy side really well but also had like a lot of depth to her character and made you feel for her and what she had gone through and everything yeah um she's just fun to watch like she brings a lot of charisma and energy and just like intelligence to her roles so um and that was the same here it's i'm excited to see more of that character Um.
0: yeah so am i Um, i enjoy i would call it comfortably mid-tier marvel uh, which sounds like a knock but like the even the bad marvel movies i don't i don't like want my time back i just don't want to watch them a second time so when i say you know mid-tier it's sort of in there with um things like the first thor um, or the second, or that. the second of, I'm saying like as a general tier grouping uh-huh. or the, or the second Avengers, um, sort of area. It's, it's good. It's fun. Uh, third Iron Man, same kind of ballpark.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. Was, I would like that a little more than that, but I could see what you're going it's, for with that. It's, yeah. It's, it's not it's my good, favorite. But it's good,
0: solid work, but yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't rise to the upper echelons, but it's good, solid work. I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, and it was nice to finally see her get her own movie and get, you know, more background into what that, her childhood and what the organization was like, and...
0: Oh, also, I'll say this flat out, uh, Cold Open is really good on that movie. Yeah, it's... The, the, the pre-credit sequence, that's, that's solid stuff.
1: Yeah, it was really powerful. It was good. Um...
0: But, okay. I suppose we can come back to the feedback on the podcast of the thing that we read. Stuff. Um, first comment came from Clinton Robinson. A great episode, you two. Fun Black Widow coverage. In regards to some of the feedback, I believe the animated feature you're talking about was 1978's Witch's Night Out. Yes! That was it. I looked it up after we recorded. Yes, that was the one, Clinton. And Lizanne confirmed that that was the one that she was talking about. So, yes, we did find it. 78, weird, weird little Halloween special, but fun. And, for me, nostalgic.
1: I will have to look into that at some point.
0: Yeah, and um, Clinton very helpfully provided a YouTube link. So, anyone who is curious as to what the hell Lizanne and I were on about... You can now find it.
1: <laughs> so, second um, comment from Lizzie Ann Oswald is impressive podcast. Most impressive. Yep, that was the movie I was talking about. The one Clinton pointed out on YouTube. Sorry, I think I saw it around when it first came out and I was like four. I like the witch because she was kind of a smart aleck. You might have noticed I'm a bit of a smart aleck myself, as are we. Yeah, we well, yeah. get. <laughs> so, I misremembered it. Anyway, onto the comic. The art looks cool. I'll probably rent the movie later. The twist is probably what you think it is, though I won't say what it is. The cover is fine. The backup cover was better. Though ex- the expression could have worked on in the second, um, where she's pointing a gun at the reader or someone, kind of like the female version of um, from the solo poster, where he had the death bla- head blaster in his hand. So,
0: um, I was ju- I was just gonna say. So I guess circling back to. The last episode, I was not completely right in what I thought I had already predicted about Black Widow. I was half right.
1: Okay. (laughs) So it could work. Or strangling some bad guy while making this expression. The story seems okay. Or if she cut up a bunch of folks with swords. And that exposition. Moving on, Black Widow 2. Should be cool in the movies, starting with her in the Hawkeye TV show. So, I think that's referring to not Black Widow. To version, Yelena. To Yelena. Yep. Um, Yelena Belova working with Val and the U.S. agent should be interesting, though I really want to see Nick Fury running into Val and complain about his crazy ex. <laughs> she is something. I'm kind of liking her. I mean, I always kind of like Julia
0: Louise Dreyfus and everything. Yeah. She's, she's had... A really interesting post-seinfeld career she really actually. has
1: i love and i really appreciate that she's the one that like you know got over the seinfeld curse multiple times so. yeah yeah it doesn't really surprise me actually that <laughs> much. um thus to having um exes spat while a battle going on should be funny i haven't seen the movie but what from what i've seen miss pew is very good as yelena and I wonder if you should know who would be a third member of this Thunderbolt. It's not saying. I'm looking for more to uh, Shang-Chi and Blade than Black Widow, but it seems cool. all right, Blade. I'm, <laughs> I'm still
0: waiting for them to confirm what that will be. Because we know it's Mahershala Ali, but they haven't confirmed if it's a movie, if it's a show, when it's coming out. There's so much we don't know but yes. True,
1: but we know Mahershala Ali is going to yes. be played and that—that for me is enough to sign on.
0: We do know that Shang Chi. I'm, I'm curious about. I don't know. I'm.
1: It gets points for having Aquafina in it. Yeah, um, like, <laughs> automatically.
0: Yeah, the the thing is with Shang Chi, like I have very specific things I want out of a martial arts movie. And most of the time, martial arts movies n- made outside of Japan and China don't give me those things. Mm. So, we'll see. I'm going to be inherently nervous going into that one.
1: Um, and then Liz, Angela, uh, Liz, uh, Ann, sorry, Liz Ann Oswald talks a little bit more about um, Scarlett Johansson and some roles she's had and... Um, References a couple other things, like, um, Clerks, and, um, yeah, so.
0: Um, she also made a second comment, which we're not going to read because it's in reference to the events of the TV show Loki, and we don't want to risk dropping spoilers on that because it only ended, um, a few weeks ago. Yep. We have both seen it. We both enjoyed it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and can't even really say what your favorite thing was because it's a late series oh, appearance. Yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. But it, it's the same thing everyone else really loved. That's what she really <laughs> loved. It was the meme thing. That thing. Yes. yes. Um, and finally, uh, from Brian Linton, we have, My daughter has been chomping at the bit for the Black Widow movie since it was supposed to come out last year. Okay, I've been looking forward to it quite a bit as well. So I enjoyed your discussion of this book. You also inspired me to pick up a Black Widow collection for my daughter from Comixology. I didn't end up getting her this particular book, but you still provide me with the inspiration. Anyway, it was interesting to hear my daughter's reaction to the way Black Widow was portrayed back in the late 50s, early 60s compared to today. It was a good opportunity to talk about portrayals of women in media and how that's changed over time. Thanks. Yeah, she is kind of an interesting test case. I would actually say her and Black Canary are both interesting test cases in terms of going from very... Problematic femme fatale um, characterizations to gradually over time gaining more layers and shedding some of the more, uh, aspects of their portrayal. Like I don't think they've had Black Widow in a relationship with anyone in a while, which is good because she's dated like everybody in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. there's And that. I think
1: they learned the the stars not to make comments about her and (laughs) who the character could potentially be dating or sleeping with.
0: Yeah. That was not a great moment. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Crap. Uh, don't Google it.
1: Um, oh, something I want to say, speaking of their portrayals, is I really did like the clothing and the hairstyles in Black Widow, um, because, you know, they were, like, fully covered up. And um Florence Pugh had her vest with
0: pockets.
2: Uh,
1: yes. That she loved, that was she was very proud of and should be. My gosh, I want a vest with like a ar- army, ar- queen, arm- but... army
0: vest with all the pockets. Uh yeah. And she
1: had, like, a very sensible braid. And Natasha always had her hair in a ponytail. So there was no, like, free-flowing hair to get in your face when you're fighting. They knew this stuff. And, like, it's about time. And they also didn't have heels. Like, good depiction of costuming and hairstyles.
0: It's, It's almost as if having a movie directed by a woman impacts the way that women are portrayed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've been noticing. I mean... Birds of prey also had the like handing off of the hair tie, like yep. We got stuff to do. We're gonna have sensible shoes when we fight, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: and one more, we had an additional comment on Snapdragon from oh, Brian Linton, I love that. Um, who followed up because he brought up Witch Boy. And so, as a follow-up comment, he said, "For your general enjoyment and edification, the premise of Witch Boy is that a young boy wants to study witchcraft, which is pers- which is a pursuit reserved solely for girls, while boys are trained to become demon hunters." So, the book's main theme evolve- revolves around a search for identity while dealing with societal norms. Again, this may have nothing to do with the themes in Snapdragon. No, it's got some relation with some of them. Um, but it sprang to mind as I listened to the episode.
1: And I think Witch Boy is actually by the author that we're doing.
0: It is. That's Molly Ostertag. And so next month, we are going to be taking a look at her work, um, which is called The Girl in the Sea, which, um, actually, you know what? We can, I'm sorry, Girl from the Sea. Um, we can pause for a quick second and pick that up because we went on vacation at time of recording this past weekend mm-hmm. and went to the Eric Carl. Um, picture book arch museum
1: mm-hmm. in
0: Massachusetts.
1: Which was really nice. I had heard about it before and it was good. It was it was I like that it wasn't an overwhelmingly big museum, but it had very concentrated exhibits and stuff. Yeah. So
0: So just in case people don't know the name Eric Carl off the top of your heads, the hungry hungry caterpillar. That's Eric Carl and The
1: Very Hungry Caterpillar. So, uh, yeah,
0: sorry, the very hungry caterpillar. That was I my brain mashed it with hungry hungry hippos for some stupid reason. <laughs> so, The Very Hungry Caterpillar is I would say his best known work. Yes. Um so it's it has like it's it has a gallery of his work um and then the others are rotating exhibits. It was currently one um on um
1: The Art of Ashley Bryan.
0: Ashley Bryan who did a lot of um picture books talking about spirituals. Um and then there was this whole section on wordless picture books, which was, there was some amazing stuff.
1: Yeah, there. it was really cool. It made me realize how trippy a lot of wordless picture books are.
0: It's yeah. They're
1: really super trippy. Some
0: of them really are. Um, but if you ever find yourself in, um, was it Amherst?
1: Yep, was it? it was in Amherst. If you
0: ever find yourself in or around Amherst, Massachusetts, consider it a recommendation. Um, it is kid-friendly. Um Mm-hmm. It's And from the bookstore there, I spotted and picked up um, Girl from the Sea. So that's what we'll do next month. So uh, I guess we'll wrap it up there. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and is presented on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Comments can be left on fireandwaterpodcast.com. And you can support the network by finding us on Patreon. This particular show was supported by Carolyn and Brian Linton. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom. And our theme music is by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Bye.